0: Um, Let's pray together. Father, we so look forward to what you have prepared and are preparing for us when we will be with you and your son in glory. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy and kindness that brought about our salvation through your son, Jesus. And Father, you are working on us now, and uh, Lord, we're in this world of sin and darkness, and evil, Lord God, and yet uh, we are on our way to glory. We're just temporary residents here. Lord, I pray as we look in your word that you would encourage us, uh, that uh, we would be strengthened in our faith, uh, that we would be uh, resolute, standing firm by your strength uh, as we uh, sojourn on our way to glory with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are a true believer, you know that uh, uh, when you come to Jesus Christ, it's not uh, uh, all wonderful, wonderful. Um, It is wonderful, wonderful that we're saved, and we praise God for that, and that is the most glorious, wonderful thing. It is wonderful, wonderful that we will be with him forever. But after a little while, the reality sets in. We are still here on earth. We are still Uh, beset with these bodies of sin. Yes, redeemed, uh, a new, new person in Christ. But we also have temptation. We have Satan. We have the world, which is flowing the opposite direction. And within that, we are in a struggle, on a daily struggle to trust the Lord Jesus, to focus on him, to believe what he has said. And sometimes in that struggle, it can get discouraging. And we can even be tempted to lose heart as our eyes are so subtly pulled away from Jesus onto the difficulties that truly are in this life. The temptations, difficulties, snares, whatever it might be. But that's not God's desire for us to get uh, discouraged and lose heart. That is not his will. His desire for us is to be encouraged and to endure. And so today in our last week before we start our looking Colossians next week, I wanted to look at a passage that would be an encouragement for me, first and foremost, and then for you. I want to, As I mentioned, I study first that I would be changed by it, and then that we would be changed by it. And so would you turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. And this is a very familiar passage, but it's one that is worthy of being reminded of for each and every one of us. Now the context of the book of Hebrews, uh, the unknown inspired author is writing sometime between 33 A.D., after Jesus has uh, ascended, and sometime before 70 A.D., where the temple was destroyed. And we know he is writing exclusively to Hebrew believers who were suffering for their faith. But yet there were those within the group of Hebrew believers who identified as believers who were tempted to turn away from the only salvation there is in Jesus Christ back to Judaism and so throughout this book, there are warnings for those who would turn away from the only way that one can be saved through Jesus Christ. And then for the rest of believers, the, the author makes a case that is encouraging for us and also that to discourage those to turn away from Jesus, but to encourage them to him, uh, that Jesus Christ um, is superior in all things. And he goes in and lays the foundation Uh, in the beginning of this book, sharing that it is God has given us what we need. We have everything. He has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And then he bookends that in chapter 12, verse 25, therefore listen to him, listen to Jesus. And within that portion in the middle there, then he shares uh, how Jesus is superior to the angels, the messengers of the old covenant, and that Jesus is superior to Moses, the apostle of the Old Covenant, and makes the case that Jesus is superior to the uh, priesthood because he mediates a superior covenant, uh, which is based on his once-for-all sacrifice for sins, which brought eternal redemption and forgiveness of sins and access to God. And so it is all about Jesus Christ and all the Old Covenant was pointing to him, and he is the one who fulfills those truths, concerning the old covenant. And then we say in chapter 10, what should be our response to so great a salvation that we should be continually drawing near in faith, hoping continually in Jesus Christ, loving him by loving and serving his body. And then there's a serious warning not to forsake uh, the assembling together and to, seeking to stimulate one to love and good deeds, not to forsake doing that. Because if we do, uh, maybe something's wrong. Maybe we never come to faith and there's judgment awaiting. But in light of that, the judgment for those who were fakers, who weren't turning to Jesus but were about to turn away from him, there was an encouragement to believers that they haven't apostatized, an encouragement that they are going to endure. And we see that in the end of chapter 10. And then we come in to chapter 11 where we see God's testimony of those who actually did endure by faith. They endured as they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. They made it to the end. They endured. And we see that the lifestyle of old covenant saints is the same lifestyle we should have, faith, trusting the Lord, and that will produce endurance. And then we move into an exhortation in chapter 12, in light of all those old covenant saints who endured the difficulties, terrible difficulties, but made it to glory in Jesus Christ, that we too are to run this race with endurance. So let's take a look at our passage, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. The reality is we are all tempted to grow weary and lose heart. Otherwise God will not share this for us. We have, uh, again, the world, the flesh, and the devil all pulling our eyes off Jesus, if we're we're listening to that, rather than focusing on him. Indeed, we need endurance. Look back in chapter 10, verse 32. The author writes to believers, in light of those who would fall away, hey, you guys aren't going to fall away. I want you to remember something, and he's going to share here. But remember the former days, 10.32, when After being enlightened, that means they, they were enlightened, they, 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 they understood the truth of the gospel and they had responded. You endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming shares with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. When they came to faith, they understood that. They suffered. They say, remember those days? Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Notice he says here, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. We have need of endurance also. You see, the Hebrews had suffered greatly for following the Lord Jesus, and time had passed, and they were tempted to be discouraged, and even maybe even give up. And they were in need endurance, endurance, and so are we. So, how can we run this race of the true, genuine Christian of li- Christian life to the end uh, to glory? How can we do so? Well, first of all, we need to run the right race. You know, sometimes people come to faith and then they get involved in Teaching that tickles their ears and tells them all about a race that has nothing to do with what God is doing in this world. It is a different race. It's a different path. We need to be on the right course. We need to be on the right race. Notice what he says here. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, ha- for us fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, grammatically, everything in this passage in verses 1 and 2 hinges on this term, let us run. That's really the command, in a sense. We have let us run with endurance, uh, laying aside every encumbrance and every entangling sin. Let us run with endurance uh, the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance fixing our eyes on Jesus. It has to do with this race, And so, who is the us here? Who is the let us? Who's the let us? Uh, Here we see the us in context are those who were revealed in chapter 10, who have had their sins forgiven by the means of Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice. They are those who draw near with confidence and enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. The us speaks of the redeemed, of the redeemed. So we, believers, are to run We are to run with endurance, the race that is set before us. And here we have the metaphor of a race, or the games, the race. uh, We all understand that. Uh, You look at the Olympics, they have races where you have a group of people, and they're running, and there's a prize at the end. It's a specific course. You know, if you go watch a race, they don't run wherever they want. It's a race that is set for them, and there are rules to that race. There is a path that they must run in that race. And notice in our passage, it says that uh, says, uh, we are to run the race uh, that is... The, first of all, let us, we're to run it with endurance, the race that is set before us. Now, this term race is an interesting word. It's the word agona. It uh, speaks of uh, that which is an intense athletic contest, that which has exertion and self-denial in the face of opposition, conflict, and struggle. Uh, it's translated agony at times. Think about that. I mean, I thought about it, actually, as I was studying this, you know, because I used to run, you know, <laughs> and used to be very athletic in the old days, and, you know, you would exert yourself. You would run hard. You would go to, to, the, to, the, to the fullest extent of what your body could do to try to win the race. There was exertion. There was self-denial. That's, and so we have this metaphor of a race, and indeed, uh, this word is also sp- uh, translated fight, 1 Timothy uh, 6.12, fight the good fight, a race of faith. Fight the good fight, the conflict. Fight that good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 2 Timothy 4.7, Paul says in the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. Now notice he says here twice to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 2, it's a good fight we go it's not so good i don't like it all right i don't like the difficulties well it's a good fight because god is using those difficulties to make us like jesus christ and he has a pre-planned course for us on this earth for our sanctification on the road and race to glorification and we are to run the race and notice he says here that is set before us that is, set before us. It's just an interesting word. This word translated set before spoke of that which was exposed to view on public display. Often it would be used of dead bodies. If, if a body was laid out uh, for public display, that's what it was. It was set before us. It's public. It is obvious for all to see is set before us. And folks, God is saying here, the race that is before us is publicly there. It is not a mystery to what God's will, as we will see, is for us in this life. It's not a mystery. God has revealed what this life is about for believers. He has revealed the many facets of this race and of our sanctification in the midst of that. And so he says, run it, that, that race which is set before us. And keeping with the metaphor, we have the start of this race. When we were justified by faith in Jesus Christ, when we believed in him, that is when the race started. And we have the course. It is that which God determines and lays before us public, as we'll see, through his word, by the way. It's not a mystery. Uh, it is our sanctification being made like Jesus Christ. And then we have the finish, eternal glory, eternal glory in that And so, sadly, uh, many get sidetracked. Indeed, many start the race. They realize what it's about, but they get sidetracked, and they are not running, or they are running in the wrong race. Uh, There are a lot of bad teachers out there which make the walk in Jesus Christ totally different than what the Word of God says. Be very careful that we do not listen to voices that are not of God. We need to hear the Word of God and follow the God of the Word, as we're going to see. And so then we have this race set before us. And where is it and how is it set before us? I've alluded to this already. It is revealed to us in the word. God reveals that it's going to be difficult. He reveals that he is conforming us to the image of his son. He reveals what it is about. He reveals what we are doing in, on the way as God is using us as lights in a dark world, as he is using us to glorify him that others might come to faith and glorify him. And so we have the reality of this race. We've been called unto uh, faith in Jesus Christ, certainly, and then to trust him. But yet we can be running the wrong ways at times. We can get self-focused, caught up in our own lives, caught up in our own stuff. We can get our eyes off of Jesus. And guess what? Every time that happens, you will be discouraged. You will not have peace. You will not have joy. And the Lord wants us to have joy and peace. Yes, I've mentioned that this is very difficult, the Christian life. But there is joy and there is peace. Jesus said, Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. There's rest in that. Paul talks about that. There's rest, but yet there's there's exertion. It's this, it's this paradox of exerting our energy and our focus uh, to, to run this race in the light of God doing it through us and resting in him. It's a paradox. So then what is this race that is set before us revealed in the Word? Again, I've mentioned this, but we have been called to become conformed to the image of Christ. We are to be holy because he is holy, 1 Peter chapter uh, 1. Let me share a few passages too. We know in Romans 8, 29, for for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And I don't want to hear this, but it's the truth. God uses Difficulty to conform us to the image of his Son. He uses difficulty to get us to turn to him. He allows it to become hard at times. And yet there's peace when we yield to him in those difficulties. He, he uses these things. Colossians one twenty two or one twenty one. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet now he has reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you... Before him, holy and blameless and beyond reproach. We are on the road to glory. And part of that now is being sanctified, set apart from sin unto the Lord. And I mentioned this earlier, and I shared this earlier. Paul, he talks about attaining the resurrection of the dead. That's glory, by the way. He he, he says, I haven't attained it yet. And he says in Philippians 3.12, not that I've already obtained it or I've become perfect. Now, he's not talking about perfectionism like those denominations that have twisted the word of God. We don't become perfect here. If anyone says they have no sin, they're liars. That's what John says. But we're on our way to becoming perfect. But here, this speaks of being complete or mature. That's what this means. He's saying, hey, I haven't made it to the end yet. I'm not complete. I'm not mature in that sense yet. This is the word perfect. to translate that. But I press on in order that I may lay hold of that which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Hey, Jesus grabbed you to make you like him. That's the goal. And so Paul says, hey, I press on in this goal. I press on in this. And he says, brethren, I do not regard having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, and he's going to say two things, by the way. But it's one thing, right? One thing I do, he says, forgetting what lies behind. Oh, boy, stop that. Counseling that takes you back through all the junk and just praise God for forgiveness, praise Him for your protection, and move forward and move forward forgetting what lies behind it doesn 't mean it didn 't happen. Paul said this and this happened, but he focuses on christ on Christ, forgetting what lies behind he says here and and he says, and reaching forward to what lies ahead, reaching forward to that, what lies ahead he says, I press on towards the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God called us in Christ out of sin unto him. And that's the race and what he's doing right now. He is doing that through all the circumstances and events in our lives. And I'm saying, yes, it's difficult and it's wearying, but there's peace and there's joy when we abide in Christ. And there's blessing. How blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. And so then we are in a race that began when we were saved and now God is sanctifying us through his word by the power of his spirit and we are being conformed to the image of his son and by faith, when we believe what he has said and trust him, he changes us and we grow through his word in respect to salvation. That's the race we're on. That's the race we're on, but we can get sidetracked because it is difficult we can get sidetracked, but it is God's will our sanctification. Paul says in First Thess- Thessalonians chapter four, verse three, "This is the will of God, your sanctification." Then he's going to talk about specifically abstaining from sexual immorality. But it is God's will that we are sanctified, or that means to be set apart. That we are sanctified. We are to press forward, not looking back. You know, because we're on our way to glory. We're on our way to glory, and, and that's a motivator for us. That's a motivator. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3, verse 20. And he doesn't say, you know, you fight the good fight of faith or you run the race and make sure you make everyone around you is running it too, you know? It's about you personally, right? Yes, we want others to follow Jesus Christ, and there is a right way to love and share that they might be motivated to do what is right. But this is about us on our way to glory, okay? Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power which he has even to subject things all Subject all things to himself. We're on our way to glory, and we're waiting for Jesus to finish the job, right? Second Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen. Let's turn to four sixteen. We're rapidly finishing up Second Corinthians on Wednesday night. This is part of it. Is the Apostle Paul is not discouraged through the almost almost dying in situations, through going through difficulties. He's not. He's not discouraged. Notice what he says here. Second Corinthians four sixteen. This is the good fight of faith. It is the race. It is a race where we are called to die to ourselves, uh, to live to God by his will. But there's a struggle in that because we know we fail. And we do have an enemy. And we do have this flesh. And we do have temptation. And we have the world going the opposite direction. But God is using even those terrible things to cause us to turn to trust in Jesus Christ. A trust in Jesus Christ. So then, we should be running this race, this struggle by faith. And you say, Well, what is his will? I shared it already to be sanctified, but let me share some passages about that. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, I'll read this for you. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith. In the truth. We are set apart when we believe what God says and abide in Christ Jesus. His Spirit empowers us to be different, to be changed. As our minds are renewed, we will then demonstrate what the will of God is. Romans chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's God's spirit-empowered word. we changes our minds and our thoughts. He says here, that you may prove or demonstrate outwardly what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. When God's word is at work through God's spirit in you, it will dem- demonstrate difference in your life. It's being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So therefore, God has set the race before us. It's to be conformed to his image, to be made like Jesus Christ. We see that to be about his will and not my will. Jesus would say, you know, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Right? Who is you know? Who, and then when they were coming to say, "Hey, your family's over here. They want to get a hold of you. They want to see you." And he said, "Who are my mothers, my brothers, my sisters? Those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven." And in a parallel passage, and in, in, uh, in it seeks about who obey the word of God or do the word of God. That's doing His will. And so then, the race has been set before us. It is ultimately about faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, believing what he has said and thus obeying him and it is continually in view before us it's there it's, it's it's there for you you can't say i don't know what god's will is we do know what god's will is now for specific things we may not know that but his will for our everyday lives is laid out is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Is to have a changed attitude and thus actions towards everything around us. It's walking with our Savior, Jesus Christ. We see in the context of this race. Now, the metaphor is running, so we're going we're to run the race, right? So he says here, we are to run this race that is set before us. And my question is, are you running? Are you running the race? are you on the right path you came to faith in jesus praise the lord but now do you realize he's using this life and the events to change you to make you like jesus it's a good thing it's a wonderful it's it's the beauty of holiness he's using it to change you to make you like his son jesus what a wonderful thing so then we need encouragement we need to get back on track you get back on track maybe you've off got off track things have distracted you get back on track run the race Now, notice here, we are to, uh, in the context of needing encouragement, uh, we're to see something that, that, that has actually happened that will be an encouragement to us. Notice back in our passage, verse 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Therefore... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, run the race. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, if you've read Hebrews, you'll be aware that in chapter 11, there are those who, um, in chapter 11, were testified by God that they trusted him by faith, and they endured to the end. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of testifiers... God testifies of them. They don't testify. God testifies of them. Now, this therefore is pretty interesting because in Greek, there's uh, three, three therefores put together. Toi, gar, un. You can have any one of those by themselves and it would say therefore. It's very emphatic. Therefore, in light of what you just see in chapter 11, uh, we are to run this race with Endurance. Notice he says, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, there's some people that uh, have interpreted this to be a group of believers that have, you know, run the race like in chapter 11. And they're up in heaven and they're all in this stadium looking down and there's Greg there and they're saying, go Greg, go. You know, uh, there's a group of people saying that. Well, that's really not what is being said here. As I've mentioned before, this term witnesses could be translated those who have been testified of and that is the context in chapter 11 you might remember that all the men and women there did not testify of themselves but were testified of god god testified of them and what was their testimony a quick read of chapter 11 reveals that they were all that all their lives were characterized by faith and they endured that's the testimony So God shares from faith, start to finish. Remember, Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice. Uh, That was the start. That's the start by faith. Uh, Verse 4, Enoch walked with God, pleasing him by faith, and was taken up without dying. Verse 5. And then we have more examples. Noah, by reverent faith, obeyed God and built an ark. Verse 7, Abraham, by faith, obeyed God, lived as a foreigner in the land of promise, ultimately a looking by faith to his heavenly home, and by faith he obeyed and offered up Isaac, verses 8 through 10 and 17 through 19. And then what about Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah? These are all for you to see in Scripture. They are publicly displayed. It's a cloud of testifiers that say and show through their lives that God shows that they trusted the Lord and they endured to the end. They believed what God said. There are examples of those who even messed up, right? A lot of them. Yet they believed God. They believed his word and they obeyed and endured. They finished and they won that race per se in that in that metaphor. They fought the good fight of faith to the end. Well what would be said about you? Would God testify of you? Would he testify of you that you believed him that you believed what he said and you you stood you walked in that context they are witnesses in the sense that through their lives and deaths god bears testimony that the race can be run successfully in the midst of great difficulties people saw it in two later on right great difficulty okay they trusted and obeyed christ endured to the end and so we have this great cloud the term great means a lot and the term cloud speaks of a unity of that group, in a sense. It's a unity of that group, this great group that is united in its testimony surrounding us. And they're everywhere in Scripture. People by faith who trusted the Lord, believed his word, endured to the end. And when you're getting discouraged, you've got to see that. You've got to go to the Word of God. You've got go to go the Word of God and let it motivate you to run with endurance, as we're going to see, to run with endurance. Because we get tempted to get discouraged. The race gets too difficult, but we need to be encouraged. Normal, messed up, sinful people trusted the Lord and endured to the end. No matter what the cost, they were looking for the eternal reward. And God was faithful and brought them through. They ran the race of faith in Jesus and endured. And this should encourage us because their God is our God. He's the same God. And so first of all, we must run the race that's put before us, recalling, we need to recall the testimony of previous victors. We need to look at them, be encouraged by them. And then notice we need to rid the obstacles to faith. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses, verse 1 surrounding us, let us also, that word also is pretty amazing, it means they did it too. Also, they did it too. Lay aside every encumbrance... And the sin which so easily entangles us, this also implies that they had encumbrances, and they laid them aside that they had the sin that so easily entangled them, and they 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 they, they ran instead with endurance, they laid it aside so here the term laying aside means putting it off it 's a distinct action as of getting rid of clothing, taking it off, taking a jacket off, and throwing it over there. Let us lay aside first of all. Every encumbrance. The term encumbrance literally just means weight. Get rid of everything that hinders our trusting in Jesus. Now, the metaphor is a race. You know, you wouldn't, if you went to the Olympics and you saw some guy wearing five jackets running the race, he'd be making a mockery of the race or carrying weights or whatever it might be. The reality is, if you are weighed down, you are not going to win. You're not going to run well. You're not going to run well. And so we are to lay aside every weight which here is an encumbrance. It, it, it holds you back. It, it keeps you from being sanctified in Jesus the way you should. It keeps you from trusting him. There are things that inhibit you from trusting Jesus. That's really what's going on here. There are weights or encumbrances, and not even outright sin. It just says weight. Just says weight. They are simply things that hinder our trust in Jesus, and we are to lay aside how many? Every single one every single one. And he is alluding to the fact that we have multiple or possibly multiple encumbrances. Every one, lay them aside, every single one, get rid of them, throw them off. Throw off those things in your life that are hindering you from trusting Jesus. You see, the race is all about faith. The race, uh, and, and faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, the word of God. And so we need to do an evaluation. What things are keeping me from having God's word dwelling in my heart? What things are keeping me from believing the truth that I already know and the truth of the word of God? What things are in the way? What thoughts are in the way causing me to get worried and and anxious rather than trusting in Jesus? Get rid of those things. Get rid of those things. Let us lay aside also every encumbrance. Now, sometimes we try to identify what to set aside, and I think sometimes we ask the wrong question or even omit the right question. We might say, is it a sin to do this or that? Uh, uh, That's not a bad question, obviously, but we need to go farther. We should ask the question, will this encumber my faith in Jesus? Will this hold me back from trusting him? Will it weigh me down from my walk with Jesus Christ? Will it it hold me back? These thoughts, these actions, these whatever it might be, every one Will it keep me from his word and from his people? Will it pull me away? Will it pull me away? Will it pull me away from that which he uses to produce faith in us, the word of God through the spirit of God? Will it pull my eyes off of Jesus? Will it pull my eyes off of Jesus? You see, what things uh, can you say, good or bad, are hindering your walk, your faith in Christ? What thoughts are are, are moving through your head that cause you to not trust the Lord? Throw them off. Or what actions or things in your life may be good, not even sin? Throw them off, we're told here, to let us lay aside every encumbrance. Every encumbrance. Take them off like a dirty garment and throw them off. Now notice, we're also to not only run unhindered, we're also to lay aside something else. And the sin, end of verse 1, which so easily entangles us. Now it's interesting, we know that sin in general entangles us. You know, but these are people who want to follow the Lord. You know, when you want to follow the Lord, you're not living in outright sin usually. You're confessing. We're the confessors of sin. We don't want to sin. Like we we feel horrible. We don't want to sin. So here he doesn't say, and all the sins that are that are hindering you. They certainly hinder us, no doubt about that. But there is one sin here, I believe, that hinders us very clearly in the context of this race. Notice he says the sin, and here we have an article beforehand, and it's in and it's it's also in singular uh, in a singular form here, the sin, laying aside the sin. Wait a second, what's the sin? What's the sin? What is the sin that so easily entangles us? The term entangle literally means of something cleverly placed around itself that exerts tight control. Something that that starts tight control, it's holding you back. It's not just a weight, not just weighed down trying to run the race. It is holding you, it is entangling you. Well, I believe in light of the context of the book of Hebrews, the sin that so easily entangles us is the sin of unbelief. It is the sin of unbelief. It is a lack of faith in Jesus. Indeed, throughout this book the Hebrews were warned concerning persistent unbelief. Chapter two verse one, chapter three, verse twelve, chapter four, verse one. The sin is unbelief in the Lord God and His Word. Uh, Hebrews chapter eleven, six. Without faith it is impossible to please him. Impossible to please him. One pastor writes, or actually whatever is in Romans chapter fourteen, twenty three, whatever is not from faith is sin. Sin, right? So all sin at its core is surrounded with the idea of not believing something about what God has said, right? It's all there, right? One pastor writes, the primary block to gaining the prize is the sin that so easily entangles us. Since the writer does not specify what this is, it may be taken for granted. It's the sin continually warned about in Hebrew is persistent unbelief, not believing what God has said. You see, when we doubt what God has said, we are entangled We are entangled. We are tightly gripped. And you can't run when you are tightly gripped, by the way. You see, we need to believe what God has said. We need to believe what he said. You see, because when we don't believe what God has said, we are so easily entangled or tightly gripped. And all of us have felt the tight grip of unbelief. When you're in the midst of worry, you're in the midst of the tight grip of unbelief, by the way. You are just grabbed by it. When we don't believe what God has said, the race is about faith, by the way. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in the Lord. And so then, when we do not believe, we are entangled. Now, certainly, obviously, outright sin, we're not even on the course. You know, we're we're just, we've, we've diverted off the race and we're out sinning somewhere. We're talking about the race. We're to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, not believing his word, whatever it might be. We need to confess. Lord, I haven't trusted you. I haven't believed what you've said. You are a good God. You are a gracious God. You're way above all these things. You've said you're going to work it out for good. You've told me how I'm to deal with this. You've told me how I'm to interact with my spouse, how I'm going to interact with my kids. You've told me how to do everything. I, I haven't believed that. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And guess what? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen, right? So then, how do we run this race the Lord puts before us victoriously? First of all, we've got to be in the race, got to understand what it is, then be encouraged by those previous victors who God testifies of their faith and their endurance. And then we need to, as we'll see here, we need to run with faith, or as we will see, that which will produce endurance, endurance. He says here, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Throw it off. Confess it, right? And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Again, what is the characteristic that describes all these Old Testament men and women in chapter 11 of faith, those of faith? They endured suffering for the sake of Christ and his reward they endured. They were looking to the reward. Faith, uh, we see, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. 11.6. And so then, they endured. And so here, he says, let us run with endurance. You may or may not know what this word is, but in Greek, it's the word hupomone. It's two Greek words, uh, hupa, which means under, and mone, which means to remain. Now, not always can you take those two things and put them together, and that's what it makes, right? Think of a butter and fly, butterfly, right? Right. This doesn't, but here it does, right? It means to remain under. It means just to remain under. It means to endure, to endure. We are to remain under the difficulties that God allows. And We're going to see that's what Jesus did. He remained under them for the prize, and we're to remain under them for the prize also in the context of faith. So how can we endure and remain under this race that's so terribly difficult? It's not always difficult. There is joy. There's joy in the Lord, and there is peace. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Christian life is a terribly awful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But there's difficulty, and we know that. It's temporal. It's temporal. So how do we remain under? Well, we start to realize and believe what God has said about these difficulties, Sometimes we don't believe what he said about it. We we are entangled because we don't believe that what is happening to me is actually a good thing in God's larger plan. And he's working it out for good. I don't believe that, so I get entangled. But instead, I need to believe it. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. through whom, speaking of Christ, we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt or boast in the hope of glory. We're looking forward to glory. We're like, wow, we're going to be glorified. And here, and not only this, but we exalt, ooh, in our tribulations, ooh. We can exalt in glory. That's really great, right? We don't exalt in our tribulations. Well, here he says we exalt him knowing something. And this is where believing God's word is so important. If I don't believe this, I will be tightly encumbered, by the way. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy spirit whom he has given us. It brings about something good. I got to believe that. Yes, Lord, this is difficult, but I know you are doing this for good. You are making me like your son. You're, 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 you're getting me ready for glory. Lord, I I want to see it differently. I want to believe what you said so I can exalt in that, knowing, knowing this, that the very actual difficulties I'm experiencing are producing that endurance that I need. The endurance I need. I need that. James chapter one, verse two. Consider it all joy, my brethren. This is reckon, reckon, like accounting. You know, accountants, you know, bean counters, whatever you call them. No, 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 nothing bad about that. But they seem to have no emotion, right? One, three, seven, five, six, seven, three, five, four, three, three. Two, three two. You know, it's an accounting thing. Well, here he says reckon. It's an accounting word. Reckon this. Just know this is true. Put it in the books. It is true. Consider it all join my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, see, I've got to believe that. When I don't believe that, I'm encumbered. You get it? When you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. God allows your faith to be tested to, so that you'll endure. That you'll endure. And you see that. And let endurance have its perfect result that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. It talks about blessed are those who, who endured or persevered. Verse twelve of James. But it's an evidence that you're his. You see, if you really are his, when the trials come and you trust him, you're going to endure. And it's going to be encouraging, actually. It's going to be encouraging. When you genuinely trust him, you will endure because Jesus is faithful. He's faithful. So how many of us believers fall at this point when things get tough, we just draw everything out the window, we let our lack of faith squeeze us rather than confessing and trusting in Jesus. We need to believe what God has said. And that actually pleases God, by the way. That actually pleases him. So then, it's about the proving of our faith, the demonstrating remain under, remain under, endure. You will, you will, you will. Hang in there, believer, it is tough. Um, but he'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you. Go to the Word of God. Hebrews 6 9, let me share this. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. We just talked about those who would apostasize. Hey, they're they're on their way to back to they were seeming like they're going to heaven, but no, they're not. They're on their way to hell. But beloved, we are convinced of better things for you and things accomplishing salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and your love which you have shown towards his name in ministering and still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the end, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Tremendous. Hebrews 11.35, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. Uh, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Remain under, run with endurance. God is using the difficulty to do very good things. To do very good things. I need to believe what He has said. So then, how do we run this victoriously? Got to be in the race. Run the race. Race. It is exposed in Scripture for all of us to see. Uh, We need to be encouraged by those previous victors. God testifies of them, their faith and their endurance. And we need to run with faith, which produces endurance. Believe what God has said and run with endurance. And then it's so important uh, because all this cannot be done apart from our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfector of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What a great uh, explanation of the work of Christ, right? Focus is everything in the Christian life. The scripture commands us, while running the race with endurance, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And then it explains things about him that should encourage us as we fix our eyes on him. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Notice he uses the word Jesus. Here it's not Jesus Christ or the Lord Jesus. It's Jesus. Why does he say just this human name? Remember in Matthew 1, 8, 121, And she will bear a son, you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus means the Lord is salvation. It is his human name. It's his human name. The author inspired by the Spirit says uh, that we should be fixing our eyes on Jesus in the context of his incarnation and the work of salvation. You see, the race is about trusting Jesus. A wonderful song, trusting Jesus, right? It's about faith in Jesus. And so he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, and that literally means to look away from something unto something. I need to get my eyes off of what I'm worrying about, confess it, and get my eyes on Jesus, who is way above the little problems I'm worrying about. But he's gracious, he's kind, he loves us. He's not going to put us down if we come to him with those problems. He wants us to bring them to him. It speaks of looking with undivided attention. We have a little puppy, and when I say, already come, he runs and he he looks at me because he knows he's getting a treat, and he will not turn his eyes away from me. Am I, it's undivided attention, right? The reality is the Lord wants us to have undivided attention to him, fixing our eyes on Jesus, turning away from everything to fix our eyes on him. But how do we do that? How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? How do we do so? I, I, I can't see him physically, but we can see him with the eyes of faith. We're to put our undivided attention on what he has revealed about himself and who he really is in the context of Scripture. We're to fix our eyes on the real person of Jesus, who is at the right hand of the Father. We're to fix our eyes on him in the context of prayer and focus through his word, revealing who he is and his character and what he has done for us. And let me ask you, what things in life cause your attention to be divided you need to set those things aside. You need to turn away from those things unto Jesus. The storms of life will pull our eyes off Jesus. Remember, Peter, you know, he's, Jesus said, Come on, Peter. And he's walking out to Jesus. And then he started looking at the waves and everything. He started to sink. Lord, help me. And the Lord Jesus rebuked him for his little faith, in a sense. He had faith. I got a hand it to him. He stepped out of the boat. But the example is, he took his eyes off of Jesus. And he started to sink because he saw all the difficulties. Maybe it's a physical trial, disease, cancer, whatever it might be, horrible physical things. If you pull your eyes off Jesus, you will sink. Maybe it's a relational trial, marriage, kids, work. If you pull your eyes off Jesus, you're going to sink. Whether it's homeschooling, whatever it might be, uh, work, uh, you pull your eyes off Jesus, you're going to sink. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So some say, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, we fix our eyes, as I've mentioned, on him, the context of prayer and a real relationship in the context of the revelation of his truth. The Lord Jesus uh, talked about the scriptures, and he said uh, in Luke 24, on the, day after he, on the day he rose from the dead on, on the road to Emmaus, he said, in beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself, the scriptures. Go in the word of God and look at your Savior, see who he is. Focus on him. The author directs us to look upon him. Now notice, he gives us a specific angle to direct our spiritual eyes here. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. The term author, archagos, speaks of one who sets the path first, the leader, a pioneer, one who causes something, who begins something, the originator, the founder. The author or founder The word "perfector" teleotis, uh, speaks of something that has been brought to a successful completion. Look at Jesus. He is the perfect example of faith. He's the perfect example. He trusted the Father, and he did the Father's will, and he ultimately suffered but for God's glory and rose from the dead, and he's now with the Father. He is the author and finisher of faith. God took on human flesh. And he trusted the Father just like we. Amazing. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Look at Jesus. Look at God in human flesh through the word of God. Focus on him. Tremendous reality. Tremendous reality. You see, we can't muster faith. We need to look at Jesus from his word. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. One pastor writes concerning Jesus and his humanity. Jesus has gone before us in this race, uh, kept faith. He knows the need for it. He himself ran the race. He laid aside every encumbrance, every tie of friends and family. He's at his face against the popular sin of unbelief, daily lived in patient perseverance. Now this is all without sin. Trusting the Father to work out everything for him. He's our perfect example. Example. So then keep your eyes on Jesus. And notice This should be more of an encouragement because of what he did. Notice it says here, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He successfully ran the race. Obviously, he's our God, and if we abide in him, we'll successfully run the race, right? He is the author of Frederick. He endured. He remained under the suffering of the shameful cross. He remained under. He remained under. In his perfect faith, he endured. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, went through the greatest trial any man could go through. Yes, people have been crucified. Yes, people have died. But no one has ever left their exalted state as God to enter the sinful sphere of their creation, to leave perfect holiness, to enter the sphere of shameful sinfulness yet without sin, uh, to relinquish divine prerogative and walk by obedient faith, doing the Father's will. To be put to death and bear the sins of the world, the Holy Son of God, bearing our sin on the cross? No one has suffered shamefully like this. But he did. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured. And he did so for the joy set before him. The term joy set before him means the joy exposed to public view, just like that other word earlier. The joy said it was public before him. It's, it's it's clear. Now we often in our and see that as our redemption alone, and certainly that's part of it. Yes, he, why did he come to die for our sins to bring redemption? Right, that's a major part. Remember, it's through Jesus's death that he brought many sons, bringing many sons to glory. Hebrews two nine. But we do not see him who has been made a little while overlord of angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering and death. of crowned with glory and honor, but we do see him. I said, do not, we do see him. Think about it, bringing many sons to glory, but that's only half of it. Bringing us to glory brings glory to the Father forever and ever and ever. Look again at Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two. And as you are um, going there, I want to remind you, when the Lord prayed in John 17, he said, I have glorified thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do, and now glorify me thou together with thyself with the glory which we had before the world was, for the joy set before him. right? Philippians 2, verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He died for our sins according to the Father's will. And notice what? Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name Jesus Of Jesus, every knee should bow, and of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. For the joy set before him, he's our perfect example. And so with that in mind, we see that the author here has said no less than five times, he sat down at the right hand, he completed the work. So when you are discouraged, fix your eyes on Jesus, who endured the cross, died for your sins, and rose from the dead and is at the right hand of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus and what he has done for you, for God's glory and for you. Fix your eyes. He made it, and we are in him, and so will you. Right? So will we. Now here's the point. Uh, Therefore, consider Jesus so that we don't get discouraged. Look at verse 3. For consider him... Who has endured such hostility by sinners so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. That's the danger. We can grow weary and lose heart when our eyes are off of Jesus. And he says, so then consider him. The term here is ana logizomai. It speaks about thinking carefully. Think carefully about Jesus and what he did for you and how he endured. And now he's in glory. You endure, you'll go to glory. Well, obviously you will in Christ, but we are to be set apart and be like Christ, to be more like him. Think carefully about Jesus. Consider carefully or attentively. I don't think we do that very much when we're worrying about stuff. We need to think carefully about Jesus. And in a tense, it means just do it. Just think about him carefully. Jesus, as our perfect example, entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously in the midst of suffering and death, focused on the prize, and God perfectly brought him through and accomplished his salvation plan. And when we are focused on Christ by faith, we will, too, be brought through by our Lord. Consider Jesus. Hey, he had endured such hostility by sinners. And consider it so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. I posit to you there's some who have maybe grown weary and lost heart. You need to confess your your sin, uh, unbelief, your distraction, throw away those encumbrances, throw them off. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. You see, this word grow weary uh, means uh, uh, literally weary your souls. Literally weary your souls. A sin or a sick soul, a weary soul. We don't want to be walking around weary souls. Uh, unbelief will bring that. A lack of focus on Jesus will bring that. Don't don't be that way. That doesn't bring God any glory. Consider Him who, through such hostility, who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you may not grow weary and give up, lose heart, give up. So what's the solution? Fix your eyes and consider Jesus. There's no way around it, brothers and sisters. If we don't set our heart and mind on our Savior who died for us, you're going to lose heart. It's really it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. So then, we are in a spiritual struggle. We're in a race. And how can we run this victoriously? How can we do so? Well, first of all, we need to be in the right race. We need to be running this race of sanctification being made more like Jesus Christ, right? That's what we're doing. Secondly, we need to be encouraged by those who ran victoriously, who trusted the Lord and endured. You see them all throughout Scripture. Third, we need to run with faith, which will bring about endurance. Run with endurance. And fourth, we need to run with focus on Jesus alone, considering him and his work on the cross. Well, some of you today are not even in the race. You don't know the Lord Jesus, and God is gracious. He calls upon everyone to believe in his son Jesus, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Call upon him, and he'll save you. I'm a sinner, Lord God. I've sinned greatly. Forgive me of my sins, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, save me. He will save you. He will save you then for you and I, we need to be in the race. We need to confess sin. Uh, we need to tell Jesus we're going to do whatever he wants to do in this race. We need to understand when it gets tough, he's doing it for good. He's, he's, we can even exalt in our tribulations knowing what he's doing. We need to know that. We need to set aside in Congress, in co- Congress, encumbrances, right? We can set Congress aside too, right? But uh, set aside every encumbrance and unbelief, right? Unbelief. And fix your eyes on Jesus, and consider him and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this encouragement. Lord, thank you so much. And I pray that we would not grow weary and lose heart, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, your son, that we would consider him who has endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that we would not grow weary and lose heart. Lord, help us to think through uh, when we are tempted to focus on other things. Help us to throw those things aside. Help us to fix our eyes on your son, Jesus. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Well, John, could you close us and we'll sing, I Know Whom I Believe It.